All right, Galatians chapter 3. Look with me at verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily, righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So tonight, what I want us to look at is the purpose of the law. We looked this morning at what the law can't do. And if we're going to understand law versus grace, we need to understand what the purpose of the law was. And the book of Galatians gives that to us. The first and most basic division in the word of truth is between law and grace. We have to know that. And honestly, it's not even New Testament and Old Testament. You have to understand the distinction between law and grace. The mixing of these two revelations of the person, heart, and mind of God has led to countless errors in doctrine and practice. Let me say this again. The mixing of these two revelations, and this is a, these are revelations of the person, heart, and mind of God. The mixing of those two revelations has led to countless errors in doctrine and practice. How does this work out? Well, law stones an adulteress. Grace pardons her. Under the law, the sheep dies for the shepherd. Under grace, the shepherd dies for the sheep. Under law, you labor, then you rest. Under grace, you rest, and then you labor. Isn't that good? You can't work, you can't work your way into heaven. But after you're saved, you want to work for the Lord. You want to work for the Lord. So a foundational principle. God has always been gracious to us. Salvation has always been of grace. You know, there are some people that teach that... that uh, Salvation in the Old Testament was by works. Well, the Bible says by the works of the law can, shall no flesh be justified. No one has ever been justified by the law. It's vital that we understand that. So, foundational principle, God has always been gracious to us. And this idea that, that we live in the age of grace, have you heard that, that this is the age of grace, the age right before was the age of the law, I don't really like calling it the age of grace. I, I call it the church age. The church age, because salvation has always been of grace. And let me tell you where some of the confusion comes from. From where some of the confusion comes. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Going to be going through some scriptures tonight, so make sure your Bible is uh, handy. John chapter 1 and verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So because of that, sometimes people believe that grace began when Christ came. And the, the, look at verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Look at what it says. Full of grace and truth. So salvation has always been of grace. It has always been of grace. But grace was not fully manifest until Jesus Christ came into the world. That's when we saw it. He was full of grace. I'm full of sin. He is full of grace. Grace and truth both, both existed before the birth of Christ. 
but, but there is something that is said very clearly in this verse, verse 17. The law came by Moses. The law came by Moses and grace and truth by Jesus Christ. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. What is the purpose of the law? Galatians 3. Look at verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one into thy seed, which is Christ. And if you take that word seed and trace it through your Bible, you'll find Jesus all through it. So verse 16 again. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one into thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So notice what verse, verse 18 again. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now remember that his promise to Abraham came before the law. Is that right? His promise to Abraham came before the law, that covenant that he made with Abraham. Wherefore then serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So God made a covenant with Abraham and nothing can disannul that covenant. The, the gifts and promises of God are without repentance, Romans chapter 11 says. So the covenant that God made with Abraham, it, it didn't, it's not based on what Abraham would do. It's based on what God promised he would do with Abraham. It is an unconditional covenant. Nothing could make it null and void. Abraham had done nothing to earn or deserve it. It was grace. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. What did he believe? Man, I just had this conversation with a preacher. It's amazing how confused pastors are on this. I'm, I'm just amazed. He, he believed that what Abraham was believing in was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. No, how could he believe that? He, that hadn't been taught him. What did he believe? You need to go to a country you don't know about, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. That's what he had to believe. And it was quite a belief because he was 100 years old. It had to be something really special that God was going to do. And he believed God, and that's, that's what it took. Now, that's not what we believe. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. That's not what he had to believe. That's what these different dispensations are. And that's why it's important to rightly divide the word of truth. But Abraham had done nothing to earn it. So what's the purpose of the law? God gave the law to serve men, to protect men, to preserve them and to bless them so that all men would be drawn to the lawgiver. And it's interesting. Jesus said in the book of Mark, we'll look at it in a little while ago, that, that the Sabbath wasn't made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man. Men trapped in a world full of murder, stealing, forcing women, kidnapping, adultery, violation of property rights, false religion, paganism, and idolatry would look to Israel and see how wonderful life on earth could be if men lived according to God's rules. When the Bible says you're a shining city on a hill, when the Bible says you're the salt of the earth, that's Israel. 
God had made Israel this, this smallest of nations, this most unworthy of nations. He had called them to be his chosen people. He had made them. They're called Hebrews because, they, because of who they are, who they're descended from. And God called them. But they became arrogant. They did not draw people to God. God had given them the law so that they could be different. So that they could look different. And then that they would be drawn to him. Jesus answered that to his critics in Mark 2, 27. I just quoted that verse. It was, the law was given to protect, this is so good. The law was given to protect the lawful from the lawless. The law was given to protect the lawful from the lawless. Let's look at some verses. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now look at verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It was given, God never anticipated anyone perfectly keeping the law. He gave it to protect them. Without law, fallen man cannot be granted liberty. Something has to govern fallen man. You understand that man has to be governed. Um, I was reading a sermon by Isaac Backus. I'm sorry, it was a pamphlet Isaac Backus wrote. Um, a, an, an appeal to the public for religious liberty. And he begins by talking about government. And he says, we're not against government. The man that's against government is lawless. And it starts by, when he's talking about government at the beginning, you think he's talking about, like, you know, the British government or the United States of America. No. Every man has to be governed because our passions are against God. And the government of God, whether it comes from human authority or from the word of God or from conscience, God uses that to govern our behavior, to keep us from killing each other, from stealing from each other, from, from taking everything that a person would have, spoiling their goods. And so that's what God says. That's why God says we have to be governed, because we are lawless people. Something has to govern fallen man. This is, this is such a good statement. It will, either be the, it will either be grace governing a man who is saved or law governing a man who is lost. It will either be grace governing a man who is saved or law governing a man who is lost. See, you're either under grace or under law. If you're under grace, then grace teaches us something. Look at the book of Titus. Keep your place in Galatians. We're going to come back there eventually. Look at the book of Titus. And look at verse chapter 2 and verse 11. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Do you see that? And grace is going to do something. Everybody there? For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. 
This is grace teaches us. Is that right? That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So grace teaches us something. You know, it's strange. In modern Christianity, grace means do what you want. I'll never forget, we're at teen camp. Well, we stopped going to this camp because the, the clothes were so bad at it. And I didn't want, I, I wanted our young people to be in a holy atmosphere, not an atmosphere that's going to cause them to sin. And I was talking to the camp director about that issue. And a counselor came walking up in a spandex shirt and pajama pants into the, into the dining hall to talk to us. And I said, as only I can say, he said, Jim, I don't know if it's that bad. I said, see? She came up to ask him a question. Look at this right here. This is what I'm talking about. You know what he said to me? Jim, you've got to have grace. And so I, I, I just thought that was so good. It helped me so much. Because now I realize that grace is spandex and pajama pants. That that's what grace teaches. How many of you think that's what grace teaches us to do? I mean, it got real quiet in here all of a sudden. It's just ridiculous how people use grace. Grace, according to the word of God, it says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in this present world, and it causes us to look for the return of Christ. Without law, fallen man cannot be granted liberty. Something has to govern fallen man. It will either be grace governing a man who is saved or law governing a man who is lost. Man has to be governed. He cannot be trusted with liberty. Listen to what Noah Webster wrote, the, the, uh, of course, the lexicographer. He said, the moral principles and precepts contained in the scriptures ought to form the basis of all our civil constitutions and laws. All the miseries and evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. And so, because we cannot govern men's religious affairs with law, amen, we don't want a state church. What we have to govern are man's relationships with man. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Even thou shalt not commit adultery. That's why we have marriage laws. See, these laws are here for a reason. You cannot, from the government, mandate someone to believe in God. You can't do that. But since man is full of sin... There must be laws to govern man's behavior, and there must be penalties when they violate those laws. It's vital that we understand that. John Adams said, We have no government armed with power capable of contending with, with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Are we seeing that? 
I guess Congress just passed the most vile abortion bill that's ever been passed. Where you can chop up babies, cut their heads off, sell their parts. Just evil. These people are demonic and evil. Let their days be few and another take their office. As the psalmist prayed, that's what I pray for them. It is wicked. They are demonstrating how our Constitution cannot restrain evil. It cannot. The only thing we can do is pray that God will do something. Because we have no power over them, folks. We have no power. It's vital that we understand. To demonstrate that man cannot govern himself righteously, God gave the law. Man can't govern himself righteously. God gave this law, and he gave the law that he would give to people living in the land. They said, we'll keep it. And you know what they found out? They can't keep it. They can't keep it. Man has an ever-changing moral compass, right? The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Man, what somebody thinks is right today, it won't be right tomorrow. Remember, President Obama said that he believed that marriage ought to be between a man and a woman. Remember he said that? President Trump didn't believe that. You see, the morality of a nation changes. The morality of the Word of God never will. We're guided by opinions and experiences. When confronted by the law of God rather than the statutes of man, the, the offense abounded. The offense abounded. You know, someone will say, it's not against the law. There's no law against this. There's no law against it. And that's what people say. As if a law could govern your heart. A law can't govern your heart. And yet God gave the law for people living in the land. Why did he give them? When confronted by the law of God, rather than the statutes of man, the offense abounded. Had God, listen, this is so good. Had God given ten commandments, fallen men would have ten chances to be wrong. Right? And when you ask people what the law is, they're going to give you the Ten Commandments. If he gave 100 commandments, fallen man would have 100 chances to be wrong. If he gave 47 chapters of laws in Exodus and Leviticus, he has made it impossible to get through the day sinless. That's what the law does. The law was not given to save or justify sinners. It was given to point out how many ways we sin and come short of the glory of God. That's why the law was given. The law magnifies guilt. We looked at that this morning in Romans 7 and verse 7. The sin abounded. Does this mean that the law is bad or in any way wrong? Of course not. Look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's interesting that 1 Timothy teaches us about the law. First Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 8. But we know that the law is good. It's a pretty big if right here. If a man use it lawfully. If I give you the law and tell you it's going to take you to heaven, I'm not using it lawfully. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a, what's it say? A righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. For the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, 
for perjured persons, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. The law was given because men are so evil, they need to be told every little thing. That's why the law was given. Let me read that statement to you again. If he gave 47 chapters of laws in Exodus and Leviticus, he has made it impossible to get through the day sinless. The law was not given to save or justify sinners. It was given to point out how many ways we sin and come short of the glory of God. The law defines, clarifies, and explains what should be and what should not be done in order to try and rein man in, but without any real expectation that he will ever completely keep the commandments. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. A man can still be self-deceived once he knows the word, because he has a standard to compare himself to. Listen. A man can still be self-deceived once he knows the word, because he has a standard to compare himself to. Having held God's requirements in the law, he can reject their... Having beheld God's requirements in the law, he can reject their truth, humble himself and repent, or pretend he measures up. There are no other options. See, we can get to the place where we know what the Bible says about our behavior. And we can believe that we have all of these sins licked in our life. But when we actually look at the Word of God and what the Bible says about us... When we compare ourselves not to an ideal that we set up, but when we compare ourselves, we look into that glorious law of liberty, then we find out who we really are. And then the only thing we can do is revel in the grace of God. Say, God, I'm a sinner. The law was given not for righteous men, but for the unrighteous. The Bible, the, the law was given not because we're good. The law was given because we're not. We cannot keep it. There's no reason to even try. Because you know what the good news is? We're not under the law. One of the things that I think is interesting is much of the moral law, God has not changed his mind about. Is it still a sin to kill? Yeah. Is it still a sin to covet? It is. Is adultery still a sin? All of these things, they are still sins. Do you know the only one that we don't have to keep? The Sabbath. Because Jesus Christ fulfilled it. It all pointed to him. Don't ever let anybody tell you that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. Jesus Christ fulfilled the Sabbath. Sunday is the day of the Lord. Sunday is the Lord's day. It's the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he is coming back. <clears throat> I don't know if he's coming back on a Sunday or not, but it would fit, wouldn't it? Listen, we need to understand that God gave the law for a reason. It is the, the law is there to protect us. I want you to see one other thing. Look at, um, look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Why was the law given? Now, I've shown you that it is to restrain man, but it's more than that. 
The law was given by the lawgiver. These were rules to live in the land. The purpose of the law was not to tell an individual how to get to heaven, but to govern Israel in the land. Let me say it again. The law, the purpose of the law, was not to tell an individual how to get to heaven, but to govern Israel in the land. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, therefore, hearken, O church. What's it say? O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, that you may go to heaven. No, that you may live. Well, it's eternal life, right? And go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Here's what the law is for. If you keep the law, you'll get to live. If you don't get to keep the law, what's the opposite of getting to live? You get to. If you want to get the land, if you want to keep the land, keep the law. You say, are you sure? Look at the next verse. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. Okay, here's how you know you didn't go after Baal Peor. You're alive. Understand, that's the God of Israel. That's the God they worship. The law was there to govern the people in the land. That was the purpose of the law. The penalty for breaking the law was not the loss of the soul in hell, but the loss of life or the loss of the land and the enjoyment thereof. The reward for keeping the law was staying alive and enjoying the land. The Bee Gees sang with that, staying alive. Look at Judges chapter 2. Y'all are asleep. Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Better watch it, I'll start singing it. Judges chapter 2. Look at verse 19. And it came to pass... When the judge was dead, that they returned, look at what it says, and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. And the anger of the Lord was hot against the church. Is that what it says? Who was he he hot against? Israel. And he said, because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died, that through them I may prove Israel, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk, in, to walk therein, as their fathers did keep it, or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. That's what the law was for. You keep the law, you can stay alive, you can stay in the land. You violate the law, you don't get the land, and you're going to die. That was the purpose of the law. What does that have to do with New Testament Christianity? Nothing. Nothing. You're not promised a land. 
We have here no continuing city. We look for a city whose builder and maker is God. We, we, our kingdom is not of this world. We're not building an earthly kingdom. The law has nothing to do with the church. Nothing to do with the church at all. It's vital that we understand that. The law. The law was to serve man. Keep the law, you get to be in the land. Violate the law, you don't get to be in the land. That was the purpose of the law. For us, the law has nothing to do with the church, but we're supposed to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. We live under grace. And it's wonderful that grace allows us to live and we, we live in this beautiful liberty that God has given us. Amen? Don't let anyone rob you of that grace. Um, maybe uh, I, I need to move on in this right division. But I want to finish tonight with this. Don't let anyone steal your liberty in Christ. You know, following the rise of liberalism, the response of the fundamentalists, then the separation of the new evangelicals from the fundamentalists in the mid-1940s. Fundamentalism changed from simply standing for the truth and winning souls. It changed to something different. By the time you get to the 1960s, it, it's it, fundamentalism, it felt like it was just fighting against the Jesus people. So they became really concerned with haircuts on men, with beards on men, and certainly don't wear bell-bottom pants. And all of that stuff... They'd preach against wire rim glasses. You know, remember the little John Lennon glasses? They'd preach against wire rim glasses. How many of you think God cares what the rims on your glasses are made of? It got crazy. It got to where denim was sin. So when Lydia was in Bible college, the girls couldn't wear denim jackets. And so what happens is, You've got these kids that are trying to, trying to serve God and, you know, they're, they're preaching against open-toe shoes on women. How many of you think that one might be the weirdest one yet? Right? Now, maybe if they've got bunions or something that you don't want to see, right? How many of you know people that have, you know, like Fritos for, potato, for, for, for toenails? I don't want to see that. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay. But Sue Blackford never wears closed-toe shoes, right? You couldn't go to Bible college. That's it. You're not worthy. Is it? Honestly. Open-toe shoes. That's how weird. What do open-toe shoes have to do with Christianity? That's how weird it got. When I went to college, if you wore pleated pants, that was a sign that you weren't a fundamentalist. That's how weird fundamentalism got. And what happens when you, when you make, put those man-made standards in, 
And you teach them to young people. You yell at the young people. And you, one guy was preaching against REO Speedwagon. And he just saw the cover. And the whole sermon he preached against Red Speedwagon. He thought it said Red, not REO. That was one of my favorite sermons ever. How many of you don't know who REO Speedwagon is? <laughs> Steve Thornton. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Just take it on the run, baby. That's just... It got so weird. And so here's what happens. When, when you say that REO Speedwagon, if you're going to listen to that, it's the same as taking drugs. You know, and, and then that's the same as the deity of Christ and virgin birth. then these young people, they're completely robbed of discernment. They have no discernment. There's no joy in that kind of a Christian life. Can we be honest? Help the young people out here. How many of you, the Christian life is kind of hard without that stuff? Right? Why would we take and, and heap burdens on people's backs? That's the law. And that's not even God's law. If they were at least trying to take something from God's law and imposing it, then at least I could understand their misguided motive. When they're making up their own thing, well, you'd better not wear your hat backwards. You wear your hat backwards. That's just like taking the mark of the beast. That stuff is so dumb, I can't take it. I can't take it. That's, that's putting people back under the law. Amen? That's, some of you might be thinking, what? Pastor, why are you telling all this? Because we've got about 30% of the people here tonight come from churches that that's, that was what was happening. And that's not us. Do we believe in godly standards? I just had somebody recently ask, what standards do you have for your church? You know what I said? None. If it's not here, we don't have it. So if you're looking for a list about do's and don'ts and wear this and don't wear that and listen to this and don't listen to that, you can watch this, but you can't watch that. Man, I'll never forget preachers preaching that you can't go to the movie theater, but you can rent it and watch it at home. How many of you think that might be inconsistent? Right? And they come up with all these principles. Uh, Well, I don't have scripture, but there's a principle. I don't care about your principle. If you want to live that way, live that way. I'm all for it. You're a free moral agent before God. How many of you think that holiness should be the standard? And can I tell you something? God's holiness, what God expects, is a lot higher than the shape of your glasses. It's a lot higher than the fabric your jacket's made out of. I don't know spandex. Nah. Right? Because if you look bad, you look really bad. And if you look good, you look too good. No one should wear it. We could go down a rabbit hole there really fast. I would wear it, but it just wouldn't be fair to you ladies if I had a one of those. I, I, remember the Tim Hawkins? He put one of those on and his daughter threw up. That would be me right here. Man, if we go back to that perfect law of liberty and we look at what God expects of us, we're not going to do anything that's going to cause a weaker brother to stumble. But neither are we going to be the weaker brother. We're going to live for God. 
Ladies, we're going to make sure that what we wear is modest and it won't cause a man to stumble. Men, we're not going to use women as objects and look at them as objects. Beyond that, be clean. Wear clothes. That's about the standard. Amen? Because when we start adding stuff to Christianity, it does not help Christianity. God is wonderful. His law is beautiful from his perspective. It's a heinous, terrible schoolmaster from ours. If you've come out from under the law, stay out from under the law. But remember, under grace, God does expect some things from us. We're supposed to live as obedient children. Amen? We're not supposed to allow our, use our liberty as an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. That's what we're supposed to do. So th- this combination of law versus grace, grace is a gift. Salvation is free. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to keep your salvation. It is all a free gift based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's grace. The law is everything else. Everything else. Amen? Artificial standards of any kind are unbiblical. They're just not right. And yet, dads, I can't believe you let some of your girls go out dressed the way they do. Because it's not modest. I'm not going to make the rule. Now, we'll make rules for youth activities and things like that. that. Is that common sense? Come on. Every place has some kind of a dress standard. None of that has anything to do, none of it has anything to do with whether a person gets to go to heaven or not. That's, it, it, that's, that's that legalism that's just evil. It's sinful. And yet, oh man, that licentiousness, the Bible talks about how law showed that concupiscence in Paul's heart. That's what the law does. But let's be righteous. Let's be holy. Amen? Let's just be the people of God.